Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Hello, folks. We are coming into the second part of a discussion with Luke Havard from Dwarfs.io. They are basically the people that uh, specialize in European-based e-commerce businesses, and particularly they, they work with Amazon-based businesses, but also non-Amazon businesses and some of the really attractive marketplaces in Europe. And if nothing else, if we turn you on to bold.com, that will be doing a huge favor for you. I mean, there really are some incredibly profitable businesses, and that's the word that I'm increasingly obsessed with over time and I think with good reasons because profit's the only thing that's going to enable you to pay yourself as a business owner and it's the only thing that adds value to the business if you want to sell it at some point. So we're going to talk about how to sell an e-commerce based business focused in Europe or UK and we're going to talk through a bit about how to choose marketplaces to sell on outside of Amazon and the kinds of things you want to be thinking about in terms of consumer sophistication in Europe, particularly for anyone who sells products that are very US-centered. This might be a good wake-up call for the sorts of products that will and, and won't fly in Europe. So hopefully a very interesting practical discussion and I hope you enjoy the show. Great. Well, there's just a, a few more questions I want to just cover. I mean, one other thing is there are a lot of different marketplaces out there. So we're zooming back out now to thinking about the sort of building side rather than the selling side. Lots of marketplaces out there. Where are the juicy places to look? You've talked about ball.com. So how do you, how would you pick a marketplace for your product or, or marketplaces? <laughs> what, what are your what are your suggestions on that? I Look, I think the one thing that Amazon has done really well is their whole kind of you know, process of selling. They they take a lot of the hard, the heavy lifting out of it for sellers in terms of bringing the customer to you and how they fulfill the, you know, the product and ship it and all that kind of stuff. So I'd be looking at marketplaces if possible that, that kind of, well, they're not going to have necessarily the same capability, but similar, you know, you want ease of use. You want it that they bring good quality customers. You want it that they kind of handle a lot of the, the, the issues if, or challenges that may occur when you're selling, otherwise you can't scale. You know, I think there are people who still sell on eBay, but as far as I know, we're not looking at doing that whatsoever because, you know, there's just problems that come with that and there's a different type of customer and they expect a lot less. So I think the thing that you get with Amazon and, and you, again, you get it with bowlers, customers that have money and are willing to pay for good products. Whereas there are other platforms that, you know, if they're really, you know, catering to a very, how shall I say this cheap crowd, then you're not going to get the same quality of customer and you're going to have issues there and it's going to be it's going to be a lot it's going to be more hassle than it's worth you know you're not going to get the scalability so i think really that's what we always that's what we always look for you know the same with your your own web shop you know i think it's important to build your own database that's an asset in and of itself you should have your own customers that you can continually upsell and sell them other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we. I remember years ago, in fact, because I, I have a, a background in you know consulting and advising businesses in various different industries, but primarily online software and e-commerce and, and areas like that. And I remember there was an e-commerce business we were involved in, and they had, I'm going to say, 300,000 past customers on an email list that they'd never, ever emailed. And... You know, what had happened is that they'd just bought the product and then gone onto this email list and been forgotten about. And, you know, this happens more times than you'd, you'd 
believe really and it, it, you know that we found hundreds of thousands in in additional revenue from that email list i mean many of those customers were no longer active or they you know dead emails or they you know opted out but honestly you can warm up those those databases and you can monetize them again and what's even better is if you've kept the the database current and you you put into you know you implement implement a really smooth email marketing strategy maybe using an email like Clavio or something like that i think and you you just really put some thought and care into communicating with those customers and and continually you know trying to serve them and that's the way to think about it it's all about service isn't it and how can you serve them better how can you delight them and give them what they're looking for because they're looking for it from someone so you might as well be you and so i think that's a real asset really if we were to see um, we don't see it enough. That's the key thing I'm, I'm getting at here. We don't see businesses where they've got a current database that's active, that they really know how to serve well, and they're generating you know good good revenue from it. I think that that warrants a, a better valuation straight away, of course, in addition to obviously having greater revenue and, and risk uh, mitigation. So Great. Okay. Well, that's certainly, yeah, it's, it's an obvious point, but the fact that it adds to the value of your business, i.e., I guess what you're saying is you could have the same profit margin, but the multiple goes up. So that's, yeah. you know, it's it's not exactly free money because you're going to have to put effort into doing it, but it's, yeah. it's just a massive payoff, I, I would say, is that mm. that's that's really worth thinking about. So when it comes to marketplaces, you've already said, um, broadly speaking, it sounds like you need things that are similar to, like, you know, what are they called, Bold.com? You said it's mm. like Amazon's kind of little, little brother or something. Little like brother, that. yeah. Yeah, so uh, what are the other marketplaces that you've stumbled across if you if you know the specific i'm putting you on the spot here but off the mm-hmm. top of your head can you think of a few other ones that would be similar to bowl in terms of capability yeah no there's cdon c discount on buy.com and which, which i should say which uh, countries are these specific to as well let's just go get let's give people a bit of a, an exploration list these C discount um, is france obviously isn't it but yeah yeah, the um, these are European-based ones, so they're not all sort of um, operating throughout Europe. Some are, some aren't. But they, they're, you know, they're not operating. Some of them in the US or the UK. Some of them, like, are only operating in, say, France or, or Holland or Germany. So I think it's it's really a case to do your own research and look at you know based on it i don't think it even matters necessarily which country you're based in because i mean there are people i know who sell from you know they're in the uk but sell on amazon.com so you know there's ways and means of getting around i mean there are some i think there are there will be some that will be more difficult to sell on if you're in a certain country and that maybe it requires you to set up a business in that country but i don't necessarily think that's a barrier to entry you know, maybe there's someone that you could partner with who's already based and, you know, you you have, you know, your skill set and you can complement one another. But I think it's worth looking into it. But again, have your own criteria in terms of what it is that you're looking for in terms of a platform and the way you want to run your business. If you need to fulfill it yourself, is that possible? Can you do fulfillment yourself or can you use a third party? Is that, is it, is it, is it profitable? Is it worth your time and resources and effort? You know, you need to kind of do some research and obviously that should be common sense but common sense is not always that common and i think you know just go digging in really and, and understanding the 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 financials in terms of does that do, does it kind of yield the fruit you're looking for the reason amazon is so successful is because it takes away so much of that you know hard work once you've yeah. set it up some of these other platforms don't i mean that's why we're not 
interested in things like eBay as well because you know it's a lot of it is you have to get other parties involved and and whatnot. Again, I suppose in some respects it can be the same with your own website. You know, your own web shop. You know, you mm. might you need to use other carriers and third parties to do that. But I think specifically, it's understanding also the listings and what language they're going to be in. Do you have people who are able to translate those listings well? That's something we find often too, that people avoid different marketplaces or platforms or countries because they just weren't able to find the resources or the people to help them with the translations of the listings. And we've even heard, you know, people saying, oh, we just, if we had better quality images and people who could help design things, you know what I mean? It's just really random. That, things. that, that sounds very weird to me because I think like you, you could go on Fiverr.com and get that That's dealt what? within about 20 minutes. I mean, okay, yeah. some of the people on Fiverr are great and some are not. Really so you're going to have to kiss a few frogs in my experience. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I tend to use Upwork for things like that. But yeah, it's, it's mm. extraordinary what, for me, if you've imported a bunch of stuff from China and put your own capital at risk, Compared to that, translation and photos just feel to yep. me just childishly easy. I guess I'm not afraid of languages. We both speak German. I guess that, that helps to break that kind of Anglo-Saxon tradition that would lousy at languages. At least I assume you speak a bit of German because you're living out there. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, I, I would just say to anyone listening as well, like I would back you up on that to the hilt. Like, don't let that be a barrier. That's ridiculous. Mm. I'm sorry, but that's so easy to solve. Mm. There are specialists out there. You know, you, Luke or I could introduce you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, VAT registration, a bit more of a pain. Translation, yeah. dude, that's a commodity. Yeah. And so yeah. is great images. I mean, I'm not saying really good photographers always cost good money, and so they should, but, you know, getting getting it done in the, in the country-specific stuff. The reason I mention that is because we've even ran into quite a few sellers, especially in, in um, Europe, that actually they don't all sign, they don't all source from China. So they, they source from in-country or they, you know, maybe they started manufacturing the products locally. So they haven't actually had to run the kind of gambit of, of you know, sourcing from China and, and maybe they're not even selling on Amazon. So you would be surprised. Sometimes they're not as technical or as savvy. You know, they haven't had that experience. They haven't had to go down that road of sourcing from China and the importing and whatnot. So it's, it is really extraordinary when you dig into different countries, especially that are not, you know, UK or Germany or America, you'll find that people have done things a, a different way. So they have different experiences and different, you know, strengths and weaknesses. That's very interesting. So I guess that if you're coming in, uh, if you're US based or UK based or you're used to sourcing from China, then you have automatically got a, a potential competitive advantage. The final mm -hmm. thing I wanted to just talk about is, I mean, this is a, a big subject, but I wanted to just sort of touch on it because it feels important to me. It's about not everything translates, particularly from, say, Amazon.com. And I would say Amazon.co.uk is quite similar to Amazon.com. It's dominated by a lot of big Chinese sellers and then a lot of big US based sellers. So they look quite similar to each other a lot of the time, but not everything translates particularly to mainland Europe. So tell me a little bit more about the, the your sort of 50,000 foot view on the sort of types of products that translates and how we deal with that consumer sophistication piece. Okay. Yeah. So for example, we looked at one product once in the home and kitchen. So it was in the home, in fact, and it was just shelving. And it was just so basic for us. It was in the US. We just said we knew it wouldn't translate to Europe. They'd be like, I'm not paying for that. You know, I could make that at home myself. Why would I pay for that? And they want, you know, they just have a different kind of, especially here in Germany, everything's new and white and sharp and kind of, you know, it's just different. 
Um, it's different to the UK too. In the UK, everyone's into, well, at least my wife would tell me this, you know, shabby chic, vintage. It's not a thing. It's not a thing in Holland either. Everyone's into kind of like, you know, just it's a, there's a very different taste. So I think it's just understanding what sort of things people have in their homes. If you're selling to the homes, what products people use in a certain country, doing your research first sounds obvious, but not always, uh, people don't always follow this, this train of thought. And just understanding that that's not something someone would buy. I mean, there are specific um, products that I've seen in the US that sell for a lot and people just wouldn't be interested in buying that or spending that kind of money here. And I think that's because in the US, there's a, especially in the US, and it's, it's becoming more like this in the UK, people are just, they're used to just convenience and they don't want to go shopping for things. They just wouldn't even dream of jumping in a car and going to a store or something at the moment, you know, especially with COVID and what's happened. But here in Europe, people still are very, there's still a distrust of, of the online world. Like Amazon is getting really big, obviously everywhere, but there's still kind of a percentage of people who they they don't do much online. I mean, a good example is that even the Germans here that you can't find anything about them. So if you find an Amazon uh, seller, you can barely find any information about the owners. They're, they're just very hidden. They don't have Facebook. They don't use LinkedIn. They don't put their emails. So it's a it's a very different culture here. You know, people are still very distrusting of the online world. So it's it's understanding what type of products they would be willing to buy online and who is the the consumer. It's going to be the the much younger crowd. I mean. I know for a fact my my family, my my mother would buy lots of things off Amazon and, and my father and they're very tech savvy and they get it. The people here wouldn't at that age, you know, in, in the 60s and older, there's no chance they're going to be buying anything online. So the consumers are going to be much younger here. So they're going to want a different type of product. It's going to be for a much younger market. Yeah. I mean, there's just, just uh, I, I'm trying to think of some... Some examples, some live examples of products that we're currently looking at. Yeah, I mean, the the ones that we're seeing people buying, interesting enough here is uh, there's a lot of people buying like bedding and stuff for the bedroom. So that's kind of obviously, a, it seems to be a niche that's, that's big here. Uh, sports, there's a lot of people buying. And they, again, they're younger people. They're buying, you know, sports accessories and, and things like that. So people in Europe are very, you know, health conscious. And they they would they would happily you know spend a lot of money on the sports stuff, especially now that the gyms aren't open. Like Germany has been in lockdown for a long time, and there's a lot of people who are not going to venture anywhere near a gym, so they're buying a lot of home workout equipment. And maybe that's the same the world over. But I I find from my American uh, friends, they they've been in back in the gym for months. So there's a different there's a different culture going on there as well. So I hope that gives you kind of some of the insight you're looking for. Yeah, it does. It gives us a bit of a flavor. And I guess in the end, the overall thing is like when I said to you, um, give us some juicy marketplaces and you said, go and do your homework, which is, I guess, really grown up advice. I mean, in other words, you need to know what it is you're looking for. And if you're not good at fulfillment and you don't want to get involved in that, and I, I totally get why you wouldn't, hmm. then you need to be looking at bowl.com, for example, which does deal with fulfillment, I think, as far as I understand, and, and maybe not some of the other ones. But I guess similarly, what you're saying about the products is, you got to do your homework and not assume, first of all, that the first news flashes don't assume it's the same as the US the world over because it isn't. 
very interesting insight into the buyer demographic in Germany, particularly because Germany, Amazon Germany, for example, and I guess therefore e-commerce in Germany is actually bigger than in the UK. But mm. as you said, the consumers in the UK are very, very different. I think e-commerce mm. is a very high penetration in the UK, mm. apart from China, which I think is huge on e-commerce as a percentage of you know the middle class population there which is a very different demographic again right in terms of poverty and wealth distribution but yeah it's, i think the uk and germany are very very different in a lot of ways even though they're geographically quite close and americans might be tempted to lump them in together i would say that's a very interesting hint for further study and in fact i've had americans reach out to me recently to try you know some of the biggest sellers to try and get that sort of localized knowledge and i would say it really helps to have somebody who's literally on the spot like you are you know who's got a perspective on the sort of consumer tastes because that is something that uh, is quite subtle and uh, it, it's hard to do from the outside right so yeah. that that's definitely an interesting point but nevertheless this is one of the Again, if you are, you know, an American who speaks European, if you like, or, or a UK person where weirdly people in the UK nearly always speak French appallingly badly. My mom was a French teacher, so I guess I'm biased. They don't speak German at all unless they could say, I I'd like a piece of Black Forest Cherry Ghetto is probably like the one thing you may have learned at GCSE German back in the day. There, if you're willing to overcome that, that slightly and educate yourself, I think there's a massive opportunity there because where people aren't willing to make a bit of mental effort and you are... For me, that's just speaks opportunity. So to your point about barriers to entry, I guess what we're talking about here is kind of cultural barriers to mm -hmm. overcome, like tastes and products and, you know, a little bit of linguistic stuff maybe. But, you know, translation is a horrible skill, guys. By the way, you're so right. So many people are blocked from doing stuff just because of the language barrier. I'm like, dude, Fiverr.com. And, you know, I wouldn't suggest you go on Fiverr. I suggest you hire a specialist, but it's a very hireable skill. So, yeah. This has been great. I, I really love the what I've seen, you know, from the perspective of people who's worked with the odd uh, seller who's killing it in Europe. And when I say killing it, what I don't care about revenue, they're killing it in terms of making a profit, which is the number that excites me. Mm -hmm. And it's great to hear that, that that wasn't just a kind of fluke and there's a huge opportunity out there. So once again, if people want to reach out to you, Luke, then it's H-A-V-A-R-D, right? Your, your, your surname. So Luke, ha ha how do I say it? Havard? Havard. Havard, Luke Havard. It's a very temptingly similar to the famous Harvard institution, but not the same. It's a V-A-R-D, LinkedIn, right. Facebook. Final thing to ask you is what question should I have asked you that I haven't already? It's good. It's a good question to ask. I like that. Yeah, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I'm not sure. I think you've probably covered everything that we could have, have covered during this uh, during this conversation. Fair enough. Yeah. In which case, then, it just remains for me to say, Luke Havards of Dwarfs.io, many, many thanks for coming on the show. Really insightful stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.